Amen. Excited to be in the house of the Lord. Anybody else excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. You are grateful to God to be here. Amen. Um, I am excited. Can we also give God praise for our pastor and Pastor Peter? Amen. We thank God for him. And uh, I know, like me, you have been blessed with our um, current series on the Sermon on the Mount. Have you been blessed so far? Amen. And um, wow, you guys are really in a clapping mood. Amen. So, <laughs> but uh, I just want to let you know, uh, Pastor Peter is taking a much needed break. He was sharing that he is tired. And how many of us want to make sure we keep a healthy, strong pastor? Amen. And so he is taking a break, so the series will continue next week. And I am just excited to stand before you today um, to share. And uh, it, is, it is bittersweet for me. Um, this is arguably um, the last time I will speak a new community before I leave for Seattle. And, uh, oh, thank you for that. That's so sweet. Um, I'm not sure it will be the last time forever, but, I mean, just thinking about I hit the road on June 9th. Um, I will have three days, three and a half days um, isolated on the road with just me and God, and I'm looking forward to that. And pray for me as I go through uh, very few black people, South Dakota. Amen. Just pray my strength in the Lord. Amen. And so <laughs> uh, looking forward to that journey. Amen. So, um, but, uh, but pray for me. I'm excited and um, excited for what the Lord will We'll share today. And so I want to give our text and um, share what we'll talk about today, and then we'll have a word of prayer and we'll dive in. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can join me in the Gospel of John, or it may be on the screen, should be on the screen. John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 15. And we will look at the first two verses to kind of set the tone for our time together. Um, We'll look at some other scriptures, but this will be kind of our. theme or foundational text that we'll kind of use as our anchor um, today. Um, can we also give God praise for our praise team? What an awesome job they do every week. And uh, just thank God for them and all that they do. Uh, John chapter number 15, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Let's look back at verse 2. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It's a statement that seems to make some sense. If it's a branch, it's not bearing fruit, it's not productive, he says he takes it away. Makes sense. Here is the weird part of this verse. But every branch that does bear fruit, he cuts it also. He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Hmm. One of the greatest and worst things to happen to a true disciple all at the same time is this season of pruning. It is arguably the greatest and worst thing to happen to a true disciple. And so for our time today, um, I want to talk from the subject, how to persevere through pruning. How to persevere through pruning. Would you pray with me? 
Gracious God, it is no doubt that you are on the throne, that you are king and that you are sovereign. We're also grateful to know that you love us. Your word tells us in John three sixteen that you love the world so much that you sent your son to die on our behalf. So we know that you love us. Help us today, Father God, to tackle this uncomfortable and painful subject of pruning. Strengthen us to be the disciples you desire for us to be, that we may conform more to your image so that we can bear much fruit in our lives. We love you, we adore you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How to persevere through pruning. Now, um, I want to start off our time by saying this. Um, I grew up in Chicago, and some of you have, some of you may have not, but I am sure, I feel like it's a safe place, Gracie, that I can share that I think that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever walk the face of God's green earth. Am I right about that? Can I get a resounding amen on that? Mike is the truth. And I had the pleasure uh, of hanging out with Gracie and a couple of other people uh, from New Community. Uh, We went out to dinner this week, and Michael Jordan, undoubtedly, if you know Gracie, you know Michael Jordan is going to find some way Somewhere, somehow, he's going to be a part of the conversation. And we were both sharing our mutual admiration of number 23 and um, was talking about how recently he did an interview with Ahmad Rashad called 101 with Ahmad. And he was reflecting over his career um, as a basketball player. And something that I never knew, and I, and I prided myself on knowing a lot about Michael Jordan, but this was something I didn't know uh, when he was sharing what I would like to uh, set up as an example of what it means to go through a pruning process uh, that Mike had went through his rookie year. He was sharing how it wasn't the head coach, but it was one of the associate coaches. When they would run these scrimmages, Joey, they would, uh, you know, it would be a starting five against the guys coming off the bench. And they would play by ones up to eight. And uh, he said that and Mike was a part of the starting five. And he would talk about how they would just kill the, the guys off the bench. You know, they would be, the score would be like five to one. And the, and the uh, bragging right was whoever lost, the, uh, the losing team had to run extra laps. And so Mike was sharing how they would be winning by five to one, almost about to get to eight or six to two. And then the coach out of nowhere would isolate Michael Jordan and tell him he now has to play for the team that's losing at the same score. So if they were up five to one, now he on the team that has one and they still had to try to get eight before the other team. Otherwise, they was going to have to run some extra laps. And Mike had begun to share how initially that made him hate his coach. (laughs) He was angry. He was upset. He was frustrated. And then he, after a while, though, looking back over his life, he said, you know what? I'm grateful that I went through that because it prepared me to not be rattled when we would be starting the fourth quarter and we're down by 15. It prepared me when everybody in the city of Chicago was biting their nails with two seconds left on the clock and we were down by one. Because I went through that grueling pruning season in my life, this was like another day at the office. 
I was comfortable. I was calm. I was prepared to handle these crazy situations. And what's interesting about his reflection on it, um, when he went through it, he said he was frustrated. But now he sees it as it being absolutely necessary for him to be a more fruitful and productive player. And the reality is, family, as we look to dive into this topic today, uh, the reality is we can all empathize with MJ's initial frustration. If we think about it, when we go through those seasons of pruning, God, why would you allow me to go through all of this when it seems like I'm doing everything right? When I'm winning, God, why is it that you would allow me to have to take three steps back when it seems like I'm winning? Why am I being isolated? Why not the whole team shift? Why did you just pick me to have to go to the other team and not the other players? We can all empathize with that frustration. And family, the reality is that pruning is not popular. It's painful. Its timing is never ideal. It's humbling. You find yourself winning at one moment, find yourself on a losing team the next. And it never, it's never what we expect to have happen to us. And that's what I think is really funny about Christians. You know, we, we like to profess or have this posture or this dexterity of, of humility. And, and you know, we, we, we accept struggle. But isn't it funny how we're always caught off guard when we find ourselves in trouble? Because we never really believe this is supposed to happen to me. Next slide, please. Here's the reality. As Christians, the more deeper we grow in Christ the more we come to the realization that our lives are ultimately lived for the purpose of giving God glory. Therefore, we all must go through the painful but necessary process of pruning because it prepares us to be fruitful, mature disciples that give glory to God with our lives. Can you shout amen? This is the purpose of pruning, is that we come to the realization the more we grow as disciples, the more we get in tune with who God wants us to be and understand what does it mean to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ, the more we realize that our lives are not about us, that our lives are actually not our lives, that we are called to bear much fruit and to give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And so as I prayed and thought about what I wanted to share today, and let me be honest with you, I didn't want to have to tackle a subject that was so heavy. Um, I, wanted to, I would have loved to have come today, arguably my last Sunday before I make that move, and just preach something that would have everybody happy and laughing and smiling. I'll be on my merry way to live happily ever after. Amen. That's not what the Lord said. And I don't know about you, but I've been in this place, and I, I, I want you to know I'm going to be very real today, so you just have to bear with me. Um, there are times where, you know, you want to hear God, but then when God tells you to do something you don't want to do, you try to pretend that was the devil, and it wasn't really God, but you knew it was God, but you say, devil, you, I bind you. <laughs> right? You know, you try to pretend like you, now all of a sudden I can't hear from God, right? And then, you know, and that's what, this is one of the things I love and hate about our pastor is that he's such a good pastor. Uh, and sometimes that could be a reason to, like, man, I don't like you, Peter. <laughs> and he called me out of the clear blue and was just saying, man, I felt the Lord saying this is kind of the area you need to deal with on Sunday. And that's when I couldn't front anymore, and God just kind of affirmed it. And so um, the Lord... 
led me today to encourage someone who may be in or about to go through a season of pruning. And I want you uh, to sincerely pray for me because this is the second time today I've had to do this message and uh, just pray my strength. Um, God did some, I believe, some great things in the first service, and I'm excited to see what God does in this service. Um, But I ask for your prayers today because I will share uh, from a very vulnerable place in my life of where I am currently going through a season of pruning um, that the Lord has me in right now, and I've been in since uh, December. And so um, I want to encourage someone that pruning is painful, but it is also purposeful. And when we are able to discern and hold on to the purpose of pruning, I believe that will fuel us to persevere through it. Because let's be honest, none of us sign up for pain. None of us sign up for suffering. None of us signs up or volunteers uh, to go through struggle. And if we're not careful and if we don't hold on to the purpose of it or while we're going through, I'm telling you the devil can shake us to our core and make us miss arguably the greatest moment in our lives as disciples. Can you shout amen? And so I stand before you today um, privileged that in uh, just a few weeks, the, the, the journey that God has had me on for the past 10 years, I will be able to see that vision come to fruition. Um, this September, I'll be able to celebrate 13 years of being married to the hottest chick in the game. Amen. And she still likes me, but that's a whole nother miracle sermon right there. Wonderful kids. And I have to be honest with you. I don't share all that to, to brag, but it's the reality of it is none of that would have happened. If, I, if it did not, if it was not accompanied by its own specific seasons of pruning to make me better, to make me a more fruitful disciple. And so for our time today, I really want to just spend the first part just kind of unpacking some things in the text and really teaching. And then um, we'll shift gears to some more personal stuff. And uh, I believe that God has a blessing for us. Are you ready to receive the word today? Amen. So John chapter 15 Um, verses 1 and 2. What's really going on in the text today? Uh, First thing I want to show, next slide, is that uh, in this text, Jesus sets the structure of living for disciples. In this text, Jesus sets the structure of living for his disciples. Essentially, what Jesus lets us know just right off the bat in the first two verses is that God oversees the vine as the vine dresser. God is in control. He owns it all. He is the vine dresser. It is his field. The vine resides in his field. God oversees all. He is the, uh, the, the uh, curator uh, of the vine, and he has the one that sets the standards of expectations of what the vine does and what the branches are to do accordingly. God is in control. Jesus let us know that God is sovereign and in control. But then Jesus also lets us know that he himself is the vine. He is the connection between God, the vine dresser, and we, the branches. He is the ultimate bridge that connects humanity to deity and deity to humanity. He is the only way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man, no woman comes to the Father except through me. Can you shout amen? So Jesus is making it crystal clear that he is the vine. And then lastly, he lets us know that we, the disciples, are the branches. That it is our role that if we are truly connected to him, that our fruit, that that the fruit that comes off the branches in our lives will be a direct reflection of the will of the father 
and show a connection to Jesus Christ. Next thing that we see in this text, next slide, is that in this text, Jesus sets the expectations and purpose of the disciples. He sets the expectations and purpose of disciples, which are that we are to remain in him and for us to know that we are blessed by his promise to remain in us. Let me just pause right there and encourage us by letting us know Jesus doesn't just say that it is hit their expectation for us to remain in him. But we are blessed to know that Jesus makes this promise of remaining in us. That is some good news. In the day and time where we live in a world where people will love you on Monday, hate you on Tuesday, be neutral on Wednesday. It is good to know that Jesus Christ will be a friend that sticks closer than any brother. That he will be there constantly through good, through bad, through up, through down. That Jesus promises to remain in us. Mm. But that also, here's the other expectation. That we are to bear fruit. That we are to bear fruit. And in bearing that fruit, we give glory to the Father. Now, keep in mind, as Jesus is breaking down these expectations and purpose of the disciple, there was a huge emphasis on our action on the things that we need to do here. But I want us to understand that it is still done through the reality that we are only able to do this through remaining in Christ, who is the true vine. Therefore, next slide. Here is what we understand from that is that pruning, therefore, is necessary to fulfill our identity as disciples. If we understand, as Jesus is saying, that our goal and that our purpose in life is to bear fruit, therefore giving glory to the Father and proving to be his disciples, then that means that we are constantly, no matter what we do, no matter what we're called to do, no matter where we live, no matter who we're connected to, that we are ultimately designed to bear fruit. And as disciples, that means pruning is absolutely necessary. Watch this, because the further we grow in Christ, the more we come to the uncomfortable reality that there are still things in our lives that do not give God glory. And like any branch, like any plant, when there is things in your life that impedes on your maximum opportunity to give fruit, it has to be cut. Can you shout amen? So it's a lot of talk about pruning, how to persevere through pruning. Let's not assume anything and let's really break down what does it mean to be pruned or to go through a pruning process. The next slide gives us our definition of what it means to prune. To prune is simply defined as to trim by cutting away dead or overgrown branches or stems to increase fruitfulness and growth. The word prune or pruning here is Um, in this text is the Greek word kathiro, which literally means to make clean or to cleanse. And so when Jesus uses this verb here, it is immediately followed by what is called a subjunctive clause that emphasizes that the pruning is for the sole purpose of cleaning us from the dirt and dead things that are hindering our potential to be fruitful. Here's what Jesus is saying, that there are some things in our lives that we need to be cleaned from because it is hindering our potential to be fruitful. Now, I mentioned my my wonderful wife uh, earlier, and um, there's something about my wife in particular that uh, that for the most for most of the time, I really love it. Most of the time. Most of the time. I really love this. And that is my wife. When she finds something that she's really passionate about, she is all in. 
She is fully committed. And a few years ago, before we moved uh, into campus housing, uh, we, were, we had a nice little spot on the, uh, on the south side of Chicago, and my wife picked up the hobby of gardening, which was interesting because, see, I come from Roseland. I'm from the hood, praise Jesus. Uh, some of y'all don't know where that's at. Be glad you don't, praise Jesus. Uh, but, you know, where I come from, there was the house, there was dirt that probably used to be grass, but it's not grass anymore. And then there's concrete in the street, praise Jesus. So nobody, you know, really had a gardening spirit on my block, okay? So I was not aware that there would be a significant investment, praise Jesus, in my wife's hobby to garden. Help us, Lord Jesus. So, you know, it was cool. You know, my wife, you know, we need $100 so I could buy some dirt. And I'm like, why you need to buy that? I can just go back to the hood and get you some dirt. And, you know, but she needed some Home Depot dirt, Joey, I guess. It had the minerals in it, I I guess. I don't know. So it's all good, you know. I'm happy, you know, know, she's gardening and all that kind of stuff. And then she needed money for the seeds, amen, because, you know, you need seeds in in, in the dirt. And then she needed some pots. And nose wasn't cheap. And, um, so I'm okay. You know, now, you know, she got these pretty plants and, you know, people come over and they say it's pretty, but now I got bees all on my patio and I hate bugs. I think that, you know, they're the future sign of the end times. You know what I mean? I just, I just hate bugs. Pray for me. Um, man, I'm, I mean, I feel like I will be in heaven like bees, God, for real. Like, what was, okay. But I got stung by bees, so I got some issues. Pray for me. So, the straw that broke the camel's back, though, was when she, after all that, then she come to me saying, I need some pruning shears. And I said, well, it's some scissors in the kitchen. You know, just use that. And so, you know, she's looking at me like I'm real special. And I don't mean that in a good way. She's looking at me like, you know, I'm, okay, Mike, you just, okay, you special. Let me help you out. So she had to break down to me that, that pruning shears, even though they cut they are designed to cut away dead branches or dead things or things that are impeding on my plant and reach it as full as potential. And what she was really getting at was, as the vine dresser, why would I plant anything and not put it in the best position to give its maximum output? That makes no sense for me to go through the work of building the plant, knowing that it could do more Seeing that it needs to have this stuff cut away and I don't cut it away, how can I even say that I love it if I don't cut it? Wow. And so she gets her pruning shears. The rest is history. The garden is wonderful. But family, here is a couple of things that's hard about our passage today. One is that Jesus forces us to deal with the reality that there are some expectations of his disciples to bear fruit. He forces us to deal with that reality, that there is the expectation for his disciples, his followers, to bear fruit. This is a hard pill for us to swallow, particularly in the culture and the context in which we live in, because whether you're talking about secular or spiritual circles, we live in a culture that seems to emphasize inclusivity without expectations. And here, Jesus says, if the Father is fruitful and if the Son is fruitful, Why would you expect for us to not see the branches be fruitful? He has expectations for us to bear fruit. 
The other thing that's hard about this text, next slide, please. The other thing that's hard about this text is because pruning forces us to not only come face to face with the things that are in our lives that impede on our potential, but it also challenges us to strip or cut ourselves away from those impediments. And there's a reason why we have, they have to be cut is because they are a part of us. Think about it. The way my wife needed pruning shares, the way Jesus uses this example about us being pruned. If the issues or the dirt or the dead things were simply on the top, it could be blown off or be shaken off. That'd be one thing. But they have to be cut because they are intrinsically in us. And they have to be cut away. And the reality is there are some things in our lives, and just keep looking at me and won't nobody know I'm talking about you. There's some things in our lives that we have just come to accept. There's some areas in our lives that we know is dead, that we know is just extra baggage. But watch this, because it's familiar, we choose to keep it versus stepping out into the new and healthy things God has for us. There are some areas, and only you know, only I know what those areas are in our lives, because sometimes we are more comfortable with what's familiar, even though we know it is not for our good. But because it's familiar, we will stick with it and pretend it's not there. But family, I want to encourage us today. Because if we don't recognize and appreciate why the pruning seasons of life are necessary, I guarantee you the enemy will come in and cause us to think that we serve some type of sadistic God that gets pleasure out of seeing us in pain. But how many of y'all know the devil is a liar and a loser? Can I get an amen on that? He is a liar and a loser. And I want you to know that there is purpose. There was a loving purpose in the pruning. And when we hold on to that, I guarantee, I came to encourage us that we can persevere through the pruning. So what do we need to do, Mike? I'm glad you asked. How do we persevere through the pruning? Next slide, please. Number one, we need to remember the purpose. Remember the purpose. Let's look at John chapter 15. I, mean, I want us to look at three key verses in that chapter, 2, 5, and 8. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. And here it is in verse 8. Here's the purpose. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Remember the purpose. There is purpose in pruning. And Jesus essentially says that what looks like or what appears to be on the surface to be a painful subtraction is actually the formula for addition. There is purpose in the cutting. There is purpose in the pruning. One of my favorite books uh, is a book called Inside Steve's Brain. It is a biography on uh, the late Steve Jobs and particularly during the season of his life where he came back to the company he had, he had founded, Apple, and how he took it from on the brink of bankruptcy to the juggernaut business that it is today. And uh, one of the first things that he did when he came back to the company was that he began to recognize that they made too many products. And that was 
in, in and of itself a part of the problem. They had too many things going on. They had too many machines, too many gadgets that they were making. And he went through this season of streamlining the entire organization, had every department head come in, and basically the whole meeting was designed for them to prove why they still needed to be in existence at Apple. And in this book, I found this profound point that he made that really speaks to us in terms of the importance of remembering the purpose of pruning. And he said, if Apple is going to survive, we have to cut more. Family, anybody would be frustrated, depressed, and angry and confusion. Am I right about that? I think for the most part, we can tend to handle just about anything if we understand the purpose of something. The frustration comes when it feels like all H-E-double hockey sticks is breaking loose in our life. That's hell if you didn't catch that. When all this stuff is happening in our lives, when we're frustrated, when, we go, when so many bad things seem to be happening in our lives and we don't know why, sometimes we just want to ask God, why am I going through this? What is the point? Why am I going through this situation? But this is one of the reasons why I love Jesus so much. He doesn't just expect us to deal with the growing pains of discipleship, but he shares with us the purpose of pruning so that we can be equipped to persevere. He gives us the purpose and says so that it's so that we can bear much fruit and in doing so, so prove to be my disciples. He gives us the purpose. And it is why if we really embrace that purpose, that it is absolutely imperative that we pursue the purpose of bearing much fruit and proving to be his disciples. Here is where the rubber meets the road, family. The more we grow in discipleship, the more we are connected to Christ, the more we come to the realization that our lives are not our own. And we can sit here and be spiritual all we want. But the reality is, for every person in this room, that is a struggle. Because there's still a part of us that wants to be in control. We love to give God certain rooms in our homes that are convenient. But there's still some doors locked. You know how you do when you have family come over and you ain't got enough time to clean up the whole house? Make yourself at home right here on this couch. Don't go nowhere else. Praise Jesus. It's the only place I've been able to clean. We do God like that. God, come on in. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Right here in this living room, Lord. Don't go nowhere else. But family... I wonder what our lives would be like, what our choices would be like, what the ethos of our heart would be like if we really lived like we understood that this place is not our home. That we understand that we are nothing but sojourners in a foreign land on our way to glory. How much of the things that we try to grasp and hold on to will we let go when we understand this is temporary? I have never seen anybody lament when they took a rental car back to the rental dealership. I really like that car. You understood it was temporary. So you didn't have that much 
value in it. Why are we trying to fight for control in a place that is not meant to be our permanent home? Why are we fighting God when all he's trying to do is get the best out of us so that others can likewise want a relationship with Jesus Christ? Can I share something? I really believe that the world is sick of saying cookie-cutter churches. People who know how to worship God really good on Sunday and look like them Monday through Saturday. I think what, 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 what the, the, the testimony, the experience that never gets old is when people are in awe of seeing other people who are totally sold out for Jesus Christ. Who totally get to the point of saying, I am a disciple. My only desire is to do the will of him who sent me. Can you shout amen? True discipleship comes when one recognizes that the goal of being fruitful in Christ is worth any cost. It's no wonder why Galatians 2 and 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Family, as I look to follow God to a new city. I have to be prepared to be as fruitful as possible. And for you, I want to encourage you that the same is true in following God in your purpose. Because the reality is there is a purpose in the cutting. And the cutting positions us to go further. Positions us to be more fruitful. And it is imperative that we stay focused on the main thing. Being disciples, being fruitful for Jesus Christ, and not hanging on to unnecessary weight and baggage that will only hold us back and impede on our growth. Can you shout amen? was thinking about the other day, um, the late, great Aaliyah. Um, some of y'all, you know, a little younger may not remember Aaliyah, but I can prophetically say if she was still here, there would not be a Beyonce in the name of Jesus. Woo, it's some Beyonce love. This must be Beyonce Covenant Church. Lord have mercy. Somebody got heated. Somebody just went like this to me. No, don't get it twisted. I love Beyonce too. She the truth. She's nice. But come on. I mean, if you remember Aaliyah, one in a million Aaliyah, full page letter. Thank you, Carlton. Amen. She was already a movie star. I mean, everything Beyonce's doing now. She was doing it. Here's why I bring up Aaliyah, though. It was proven. She died in a plane crash. And it was proven that the plane crash could have been avoided if she listened to the pilot when he told her, you have too much baggage on this plane. I know you have somewhere to go, but you are going, if if your main focus is to get to your destination, you're going to have to learn how to trim the fat prune some of this extra baggage you got in your life so we can get to our destination. And because she was not focusing on her ultimate purpose and goal, her 
those on the plane, the lives of the people connected to her and those on the plane all had to go through a horrific, catastrophic event because somebody was not willing to go through a season of pruning and let the baggage go because they was not able to remember the purpose and keep the main thing the main thing. We have to learn how to let the unnecessary baggage go. Can you shout amen? Remember the purpose. But then number two, next slide, please. We need to rely on the promise. In order to be able to persevere through pruning, number one, we have to remember the purpose. But then number two, we have to rely on the promise. You always shift gears from the, from the gospel of John to 2 Corinthians because Paul, the apostle, gives us a great example of a disciple who goes through a pruning process and is able to persevere because he ultimately holds on to the promise that God gave him when he went through his season of pruning. So as we look at 2 Corinthians, the first part of verse 9, we can have that slide up. 2 Corinthians 9, uh, it says, but he said to me, he is being God. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. To help us appreciate what Paul is going through, we need to look at the preceding verses in verse 7 and 8 to kind of help us give us some clarity as to what's going on here. In verse 7, it says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A, sat- a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Here's what's happening with Paul. He's being blessed. He's being used by God. He's getting all of these revelations from God. God is blessing him. And then God allows for Satan to send a messenger in the flesh. A thorn is what he calls it, to keep him from being conceited. And when Paul goes through this, he does like all of us would have done. We pray that God would take it away. Am I right about it? If you find yourself going through some trouble and you trying to do the right thing, it's almost different when you know you live in trifling. But Paul is preaching the gospel. God is using him. And now I get trouble. God, our team is up by five, only three more points away from eight. Now you put me on the losing team. God, everything is going right in my life. Now you allow me to get laid off? God, I finally did the relationship right. I actually did it right. Met the person in church and they saved. Now they're going to be trifling? That I done picked out my tuxedo? Help us, Jesus. Why now? Come on, can we be honest today? There are times where... We are angry with God because we don't understand why now, God. And Paul here, he pleaded with God, take this away from me. Why now? And God doesn't take it away. But instead of giving Paul what he wanted, he gave him what he needed which was a promise that my grace is sufficient for you. I can relate to Paul in his frustration, which leads me, the Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the power of our testimony. 
And so I told you I wanted to share some things with you today of my current season of pruning. Um, To give a little backdrop, uh, I am a type 2 diabetic, been so for several years now. And uh, initially, um, went to the doctor, got diagnosed, didn't panic, didn't trip. I simply said, I'll never forget, it was like yesterday, I just said, what do I need to do? I'm the kind of guy that likes to have a fix immediately. Just what do I need to do? Had to take some medicine and uh, change up my diet and work out. I took the medicine. I remember working out hard one time. One time. I worked out really hard, Dave, for real. Like, I signed up for ballets and everything. And worked out really hard for 30 minutes one time. I uh, went and bought me a salad, thought it was of the devil, and went to Harold's and got me some fried chicken. And that's kind of been my story. (laughs) So, I'm in a season of my life where December, I just found out I was approved to church plant, found out everything was set, life is good. About to enter into my last semester to graduate with my master's. Marriage is great. Preaching a lot. God is opening doors. And then my front tooth starts to get really loose. And that freaks me out. Because I'm not stupid. I know I'm not getting another one of these. I'm not six anymore. And uh, I go to the dentist, and I hate the dentist. No disrespect to any dentist in the room. God bless you and your ministry. I just think the dentist is of the devil. Amen. I'm just, I'm just joking. Mad anxiety when I go to the dentist. Literally, like, my blood pressure goes up when I go to the dentist. And I normally have great blood pressure. But anyway, go to the dentist, and he drops this whammy on me that because of my diabetes and my failure to control it, I have developed, like, periodontal disease, which attacks the bone in my mouth, and that's why my tooth is loose. And I get this wonderful news um, in the midst of about to start a semester filled with 19 credit hours. Yes, Lord. Um, All these expectations on me from people going to Seattle thinking great things, preaching all the time, about to do a fundraiser, married with 100 kids. You know, by three, it's just 100 by then. Um, All this stuff, and I find myself like Paul and like Michael Jordan, like, really, God, now? Now, you would allow me to go through this. And started this huge process of getting healed from the disease, getting my diabetes under control, and a process of restorative work to replace this tooth. And so I want to share with you um, something. You are privileged because this is out of my personal journal, my prayer journal. And so you will know something about me that my mom doesn't even know. But don't worry, I know how to filter TMI, so don't worry. But for the sake of our time together, I do want to share two particular entries. Um, In April, 
at this point, um, the disease is, has been isolated and, and cured, and I'm cured from the, the gum disease, and give God praise for that. And, um, you know, I'm at the point of almost controlled diabetes, and we give God praise for that. And, uh, but I have already had to have my tooth extracted, and I'm wearing a retainer, which I'm wearing today, and uh, it sucks. And so I just I want to share this with you. It says, and I wrote on April the 6th, I continue to struggle with my dental issues. By the way, I've already had more dental appointments than I can even count or remember. I feel like I've been living at the dentist. Um, I continue to struggle with my dental issues. Why now at this time? What will happen to me? What will happen to this church? What will happen to my reputation if it doesn't get better? God, why won't you just heal me so I can go forward in more confidence? But maybe that's why I'm going through this, because I am still pursuing an answer that makes me comfortable with relying on me and not God. I want to see my healing as coming from God, and my takeaway is that I live like I know I must be completely dependent on him. On April the 8th, I ended my, my thought process and prayer time with this point. I said, at the end of the day, I hate going through my dental issues. But at the same time, it's gotten me healthier. I'm on the verge of controlled diabetes. And so how can this not be a pruning process so that God can get greater glory and witness from my life. Family, I know it's not just me, but that we can all relate to Paul's frustration. The reality is we can appreciate the initial reaction to when we find ourselves in a season of pruning. And again, what's amazing, even as we reflect on Paul, is that God didn't give him the answer he wanted. He gave him the answer he needed. And Paul's strength and comfort now comes from God's spoken word to him. He now has the strength to persevere because he is relying on God's promise. And that is the same thing that as I look back and think about is the only thing that got me through was remembering that God did not bring me this far to let me go. And that God is still in control. And so I don't know where you may be in your season But I want to encourage you to rely on the promise that God is a faithful God. God is a faithful God. And he will never leave or forsake us. Can you shout amen? Thirdly, we not only need to remember the purpose, we not only need to rely on his promise, But thirdly, we need to reside in his power. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, the Bible says, should be on the screen, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. 
One of my favorite theologians is a gentleman by the name of Rudolf Carl Boltman. And he said, um, if we could have that on the screen, he said, in terms of this verse in 2 Corinthians, this verse can be interpreted as a revelatory function of weakness. Struggle is not approved by God as means for uh, living the Christian life, but rather God is only satisfied with total surrender, which means no struggle. Do you know what that means? He's saying that God is not like the devil tries to confuse us with sometimes and make us think that he's just, you know, this God that gets pleasure out of seeing us being pain. He lets us know that struggle is not the way God intends for us to just live this Christian life. But it is amazing how struggle can get us to a place of total surrender. And once we get to the place of total surrender, then there really is no more struggle. There is no struggle with us, with God. Because we are at a place of total surrender and saying, God, I am available to you. And it makes sense that he would want us to be at a place of total surrender because we have the example of Christ Jesus on the cross, living out what does it mean to be in total surrender. Can you shout amen? This pruning process, family, is ultimately designed to get us into a posture of total surrender to God's will. The pruning has an amazing way of causing us to be face-to-face with the ugly things that are in our lives. So as I reflected on my season of pruning, I started to lament to God, take this away, only to have God to start asking me questions like, why? What are you afraid of? And I had to come to the ugly realization that I actually thought Radiant Covenant Church would live and die on me. That I was more important than the power of the creator of the universe. That I actually thought that my ability to speak, that my ability in general meant so much that I was actually afraid that the church that Jesus Christ built, the same church that he said no devil in hell can prevail against it, I thought I was more important than that. And God had to show me the same way he used Moses, who had a stuttering problem, that God used Moses to speak truth to Pharaoh. And God had to show me, why do you think you are that important? Have you not forgotten that this is not your church, Michael? This is my church. And I have privileged you to come alongside me in the work that I am doing. I had to deal with that. I still deal with that. They recognized that I had gotten completely off of where God needed me to be, which was a place of total surrender and peace and trust in him. It's been hard, y'all. It's been hard. It's not always been easy. But I got to tell you, if it was not for God's strength, I wouldn't be able to wake up every day, put my retainer in my mouth, and smile. 
I've been blessed to have a wife who still thinks I'm sexy with a hole in my mouth. Praise the Lord Jesus. I am grateful that I stand before you today 35 pounds away from losing 100 pounds since I've been diagnosed. I now like hummus and pita bread. Praise Jesus. And I give myself fried chicken once a month as a treat. Yesterday, I actually, on my own cognition, at night, went for a late night jog in the park. Because I like being active. Plus, it's really cool when your wife thinks you look good in your Nike gear. (laughs) I feel like running right now. So... That's right, just do it, amen. But here's the true family. It's not me. I just understand that I need to now reside in his power and understand that my soul identity is in Christ, not in my ability, not in my gifting to speak, not in anything I can do. That is not my identity, but that's where the enemy wants to keep us thinking our identity dwells is in us, and the devil is a liar and a loser. Our identity is solely and only in Christ Jesus, our Lord and soon-coming King. That is where our identity needs to lie. And when our identity lies in that, when we reside in his power, we can persevere when God prunes the dead and dirty and uncomfortable things that we know are living in our lives, but are impeding on us ultimately living for his glory. How to persevere through pruning. Remember the purpose. Rely on the promise. And reside in his power. Remember the purpose, which is to be fruitful disciples. No matter what God calls you to do, no matter where you live, no matter who you come into contact with, at the end of the day, your litmus test on how well you have lived today is how fruitful of a disciple have you been. So that because our fruit is the only way to validate that we are his disciples. Do you remember the parable? The Bible says Jesus was starving like Marvin. He was hungry. It didn't say starving like Marvin. I'm paraphrasing. Bear with me. But Jesus was hungry. The Bible says he comes up on a fig tree. And the fig trees, the the Bible lets us know the leaves were full because on a fig tree, the indicator that it has fruit is when the leaves are full. So Jesus comes up to it, pulls the leaves back, and curses the tree because it had no fruit on it. It was false representing. It was false flagging. (laughs) It was like a lot of Christians. We come in spiritually full of leaves, but we have no fruit. Jesus cursed the tree, loving God, because at the end of the day, we know a tree by the fruit it bears. We have to bear fruit. We have to remember the purpose. So when we understand how crucial that purpose is, how can we not go through a season of of pruning and be grateful that God sees enough in us to see that we have the potential to even bear more fruit? Remember the purpose. Rely on the promise. 
that God will give us his strength in the midst of our weakness. What a beautiful promise that God invites us in to be vulnerable in the midst of a culture and a society that tells us that we are to look and appear perfect. Jesus says, come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and I will give you rest. He says, give me your vulnerability, admit that you're weak, and then you will be perfect. (laughs) Because my strength will be on you. But then he says, reside in his power. His strength and word will give us peace and power in the midst of pruning. Our lives are not just about where we will live, what we will drive, who we will marry. Our lives are all about bearing fruit and so proving to be his disciples. The word of the Lord in the church said, Amen.